Will you yield the city? Before I lose it, I will burn it to the ground. Your holy places, ours, every last thing in Jerusalem that drives men mad. I wonder if it would not be better if you did. You will destroy it? Every stone and every Christian knight you kill will take ten Saracens with him. You will destroy your army here and never raise another. I swear to God that to take this city will be the end of you. Your city is full of women and children. If my army will die, so will your city. The offer terms, I ask none. I will give every soul safe conduct to Christian lands. Every soul. The women, the children, the old, and all your knights and soldiers, and your queen. Your king, such as he is, I leave to you and what God will make of him. No one will be hurt, I swear to God. The Christians butchered every Muslim within the walls when they took this city. I am not those men. I am Salahuddin. Salahuddin. Under these terms, I surrender Jerusalem. Assalamu alaikum. And peace be with you. What is Jerusalem worth? Nothing. It is part two of my special July Jerusalem two-parter. These are two bonus podcasts I'm releasing in July. I'm talking about uh, texts relating to the city of Jerusalem. Okay, now this time you're going to have to stick with me. This opening is going to sound terribly navel-gazily, but I'm going somewhere. This is, as I said, the second of my summer bonus episodes. I'm going to have four of them. This is the second. There's going to be two in August. Because as a teacher, I'm able to write and record a bit more in the summer than my usual two times per month. And though this second bonus episode is a part two, it doesn't really have much to do with the first part other than the link and location, the city of Jerusalem. So if you haven't listened to part one, don't worry about it. I try to make it so you can listen to any of my podcasts without really following all of them. But if you want to follow all of them and you want to leave me a rating and review, I'd love it. No, this is about the textual nostalgia I feel when I remember my experiences in and around Jerusalem, a city I've never been to. When I first moved to the province of Alberta, I wasn't used to having the summers off. Prior to coming here, I'd worked in a full-year school system in Asia 
or else in Canada, I'd worked for like in the summertime, I'd worked for a newspaper as a university teacher's assistant, um, as, as a, a ranch hand and with my dad on the family farm. I was young, single, poor, naive, and best of all, energetic. Man, I miss that energy. The amount of caffeine I have to now have just to touch the toe of that energetic young lad I once was, it's sad. Anyways, I was able to gain summer employment doing a three-week stint teaching drama, writing, and even a little philosophy uh, in uh, 2004. To give you a sense of how long ago it was, I can tell you that I finished the rest of that summer working evenings in a video store. If you're old enough to remember those, that's how long ago 2004 was. It was supposed to be a one-time deal. I was not going to work another summer. It ended up happening for 14 summers, uh, during which I got married, traveled to Europe twice, changed my regular job twice, bought two homes, not simultaneously, had two kids, not simultaneously, and generally settled into life. Other teachers thought I was nuts giving up a third of my summer, living in another town, teaching in a camp situation that sometimes saw days of 14 hours in length or longer. It became my routine, though. And for those 14 summers, it didn't really feel like summer without summer school. When I finally stopped doing it just a few years ago, it felt foreign and strange. It still does. I, I sort of feel like something's missing, like I'm cheating until around the 21st or 24th of July, um, which is about when it usually ended. That maybe wasn't the only way I cheated. When I was hired to do it at the tender age of 26, it was run by the same public school division I work for now although it was also affiliated with the small independent theater hamlet of Rosebud, Alberta. Rosebud is a special little place, and I would come to know it and love it well over the next decade and a half. But besides being a village dedicated to its theater and its school of the arts, it's also uh, a Christian. And in time, the summer school was given up by the public division and picked up by the Catholic school division in the same area. I was grandfathered in, as an instructor, which is lucky because despite uh, a baptism, a confirmation, and eight years of Catholic school, I do not consider myself a Christian. My general but finite religious tolerance got me through, and it was added to by the camp's principal, a gentleman named Tom, who has become one of my closest friends and who has helped me um, regain a lot of that religious tolerance. For at the time... It was at a low ebb. Tom came into my life and our discussions over 14 summers um, led to a, 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 a bond like I have no other. And uh, this evangelical Catholic and, and me a heathen have solved a lot of the world's problems. And, and, and maybe like Balian and Saladin at the beginning clip that I just played, if the two of us were in charge, maybe things would be better. Uh, and an entire city would not get slaughtered again. That ref allusion didn't do what it was supposed to do. And of course, 
While I was doing the summer school, there was the Passion Play. If you've heard of Drumheller, it's probably as a tourist town, home of the Royal Terrell Museum, host to Canada's best collection of dinosaur bones. It's a town dedicated to science, logic, and the Darwinian development of our world. And it has a Passion Play. If you're unfamiliar with these, a passion play is a staging of the life of Jesus Christ up to the crucifixion and resurrection. They're performed all over the world on outdoor stages, and the natural bowl amphitheater in which Drumheller's was built is very impressive. I've done theater most of my life, and to stand on a stage outside and to speak without forcing, being forced to project your voice and have an audience of a couple thousand hear you, um, is it's, it's a feat of physics. It's just a wonderful place where they built that. These days, unfortunately, they use a lot of microphones and hidden speakers, but that isn't at all necessary. They just, they, they, they continue to adapt the play. Now, the students who went to my summer school would be extras in the performance, some of them even speaking a line or two. I would help organize the kids and monitor them, and then they'd be graded on their performances. And because the play had gone through several versions and revisions, in the early days, um, much was done to establish the historical and cultural feel of first century Roman Judea. The kids could do a lot and improvise scenes without drawing the action to them. They formed the crowds and and sort of interacted um, without being the main narrative. In costume, we teachers could move around freely and interact with them uh, and with other background characters. The kids created character bios, told little stories through these interactions with us and with each other. I'd always come up with a reason for an especially Nordic-featured man in Arab garb, um, or one year in Roman garb, that was complicated. Anyways, to be why I would be in the Holy Land. My favorite is I was a Viking 700 years ahead of his time and completely lost. Depending on the version, the second act of the play saw the stage converted to Jerusalem and told the events from the Gospels there, ending with uh, Christ ascending into heaven after the resurrection. This act was my favorite part, not because... Uh, of the of the totality of what it means to be a Christian being depicted, uh, but because I'm fascinated by Jerusalem itself and its role as the center of three major religions, cultures, and thousands of years of conflict. Drumheller is a very special valley. It's very deep, and the hills show geological epochs in their bentonite. In the winter, it's 5 or 10 degrees colder than nearly everywhere nearby and in the summer it's five to ten degrees hotter the passion play site is west of the town and one of the many in one of the many side valleys that lead off of the river valley it's as near to a desert as you can get in alberta and at the site of the stage in july it's often in the mid or even high 30s it's a fair copy of jerusalem i feel Every time I stepped out onto that stage, or watched rehearsals from the seats, or took a break and hiked in the hills, I got this feeling of otherness. The first few years, when I was young and broke, I was welcome to camp out there, and the whole experience became rather cathartic and philosophical for me. Friend Tom became and remains one of my most valued conversationalists, and I could convince myself a mist or, or, or maybe uh, uh, um, 
a harmless kind of sandstorm, lay about the valley in early July. When I entered it, I entered the other, and a spell was cast over me that hung for days afterwards. Well, years, I now realize. As a heathen in Jerusalem, I turned to secular texts to sort of accentuate the feelings I was experiencing there. When I could read, uh, I did. I read many good books in Drumheller over the summers, and the evening choice of read became a, a, a precious thing. I would spend the whole winter thinking about what books I would try to read that summer in Drumheller. I watched films as well, films that brought me that feeling of the heat of the desert. And one that I kept coming back to and just recently rewatched in this sense of nostalgia is the one that I, I played the clip of at the beginning of this episode, Ridley Scott's very underrated Kingdom of Heaven. Now, this may seem like an odd segue to a lesser known text, but this became a comfort movie for me. There wasn't lots of times that I could watch movies, but over the course of several days, I'd get through the director's cut in pieces. And unlike most director's cuts, this isn't just um, directorial narcissism with, uh, with you know, things that were left on the cutting room floor th- kind of thrown in for whatever. Uh, Scott truly felt that the edits done to his film ruined it, leading to its poor performance at the box office and and maybe not deserving, um, not gaining the deserved uh, uh, credit uh, it should have. Uh, I truly feel it's a wonderful film if you look at the full version. If you don't know it, it was released in 2005 and stars Orlando Bloom. Okay, that's maybe its biggest strike against it because uh, Bloom has the range of a really grim piece of cardboard. The energy he expends in scrunching his eyebrows and clenching his jaw is uh, could be better used in maybe acting just a little more strongly. But anyway, Bloom plays Bloom, uh, playing a character named Balian of Ibelin, a French knight in the time of the Crusades. He travels to the Holy Land to cleanse himself of a murder and to save his dead wife from torment in hell because she committed suicide after they lost their child. Immediately, he gets embroiled in the politics of the Christian kingdom of King Baldwin IV and the tension at its center um, of of the uh, various Abrahamic religions that are that surround and are are sort of um, uh, satellites of Jerusalem. By the end of the film, Balian must lead the defenders of Jerusalem against the attack of the great Muslim king, Saladin, who we know famously in English uh, as an anglicized version, Saladin, sort of anglicized. Anglo-Syllabic? They just drop one. Uh, whatever. If you know your history... It's a losing venture. Salah Hadin had a great army. When Balian first arrives in Jerusalem, he encounters a city in turmoil under its Christian masters. King Baldwin, who is young and leprous, has kept the peace for Christians, Muslims, and Jews by allowing all of them to access their holy sites in this troubled and important city. However, there is rebellion to this because the Knights of the Temple believe the Crusader Credo God wills it, and any sin can be committed on crusade in the name of God and be justified. 
This was one of the great appeals of the Crusades, of course, is if you put the cross on your tunic and uh, chopped people up, you could be forgiven because the Pope said so. Was it Pope Innocent? I'd ha- I gotta look that up, but would not be something if it was Pope Innocent who uh, put people on the First Crusade? Anyways, one of the Innocents. Irony. This leads to infighting in the film and fear, as the Muslims have a vastly superior army um, waiting to take over Jerusalem if the peace fails. Now, this movie was made only four years after 9-11, and anti-Islamic sentiment was especially high, especially in the United States. The portrayal of Salah Hadin and his men is perhaps a bit too humble and a bit too noble, but one of the reasons this movie was not as successful was its lack of a true antagonist, and that history demands that the hero ultimately fails in his defense of Jerusalem. This is a movie about a defeat. The true, the true rotters in the cast are the Templar Knight uh, Guy de Lusignan, who is briefly uh, king of Jerusalem. He's the king that Sahadin makes reference to in that clip. And uh, Reynald of Châtillon. Um, they're Christian warmongers who shake the steady peace and ultimately drive the Muslims to attack. What I love about this movie um, is Scott shot it like he did with Gladiator, most of it in Morocco. And you can just feel the heat of the place. Watching the desert in the desert gave me a satisfying feeling, uh, and I would rewatch it. Bloom's Balian is a rare good knight who seeks to live by a moral code and to defend the citizens of Jerusalem, no matter what. Amid all the politicking and backstabbing and religious strife, he remains a good man. Except for Salah Hadin, who is superhumanly noble in this movie, but may have been pretty fantastic anyways, uh, if history is to be believed. And writers like Edward Gibbon, who I will be discussing on uh, my August 1st podcast uh, in their histories. Best, though, is this ideal of Jerusalem and the depiction of what could have been. Anytime anyone takes Jerusalem, whether it's the Romans, the Christians, Muslims, they take it with bloodshed. However, the city has become critical to these three Abrahamic faiths. Both Baldwin IV and Salahuddin's Jerusalem are depicted as tolerant and welcoming to the other faiths that are anchored in this city. There's this maybe over-the-top melodramatic, but a beautiful moment where after Salah Hadin has entered the, the city, he finds, um, he goes into um, uh, a church and uh, a converted Muslim church, and he sees a Christian um, cross laying on the ground, and he picks it up um, and puts it back on the altar amid all these bloody curtains, which makes me think that the priests were murdered, but... There's, there, there's the master of the force sort of honoring his enemy. Unfortunately, these are three faiths infamous for their inability to cohabitate, and the past will repeat itself, as we know. When I used to walk about that elaborate stage with its stone walls and its fake white uh, plastered desert buildings, I would think of the scope and beauty of Scott's cinematography in that film. 
Then I would look to the hill where the climax of the Passion Play takes place, where the actors who played Christ and the two thieves would be crucified. Kingdom of Heaven is about a noble defeat. It is about sacrifice for the sake of saving. And of course, one can see a parallel in the Christ story. Balian slaughters, and his men are themselves slaughtered. And in the end, they only delay a foregone conclusion. Jerusalem is taken by the Christians in blood and is taken back by the Muslims in blood. The Jews would take it back after the Holocaust, and the region has seen nothing but blood in the 80 years since then. Balian threatens to burn it down and all its holy sites, and Salahadin wonders if that might not be the better idea. I would look at that hill and consider again that the symbol of a faith is a torture device of the most diabolical and horrific kind. People wear it. They start and end their prayers, making it sign. They paint their church with it. This is a device of torturous and agonizing execution. Christianity is a faith born of brutality, and Jerusalem the site of much of the brutality it and the other faiths have spawned. Crusade, Inquisition, Holocaust, Residential School. Look at the list of things done in the name of God, and you see as much horror as peace. Death and murder have soaked the stones of Jerusalem. This is always the final turn I would come to. The brutality this place and the faiths have done. When the tallies are made at the end of days, when the good these three faiths have done, when the good acts are counted up, when the bodies of those who have died in the name of God are counted up, which tally will be greater? All right, maybe that was more of a down ending than you were expecting, but it was supposed to be philosophical. I'll tell you what I'll do as I uh, as I depart from my second July Jerusalem episode of the Structured Rambling podcast in this July, and I wish you the finest of midsummers, middle of the summer for teachers. Midsummer was a month ago. I'll once again. Play a little cover by me first in the Gimme Gimme's. Again, it's a, a little bit of Hava Nagila, but with a slightly differentiated, differentiated, different, differed, changed, not the same, not how it normally is arrangement. You have yourself a lovely day.